I didn't know this three months ago, but the reason I started growing a beard three months ago was so that I could teach, because, you know, Sean is about beards, right? <laughs> beards and holiness. And, but I'm going to be a rebel and show him that, you know, I'm not under the law. I'm going to shave it. We'll see what he does. So he'll freak out. It's pretty funny. Um, we should be praying for him, as, as BK said. He's teaching Aurora. And I've heard from a couple people who watched the sermon last night that it was awesome. So um, we might have to harass him and see if he'll teach that same sermon here because it sounds like a cool one about salt and and the image the picture of how god uses that so um keep him in your prayers and um open your bibles with me to hebrews chapter 11 um i decided to bite off a really big section this week so hopefully we get through it and it goes smoothly and you're not completely lost by the time i get to the end but um what i don't have a cheesy joke i'm sorry kurt Sean is the king of cheesy jokes, and I just, I don't want to even try to compete, because I don't have that level of cheesiness, so. Um. I do have something nerdy, though. I, I'm probably nerdier than Sean, so my, my first illustration for you guys is, I'm going to start with this idea. I have an engineering challenge for you. I need you to build something that's to weigh 1.2 million pounds. That's after the capacity for five to 800 people. Now, how about if I told you that object has to float? And not in the water, but in the air. And it has to float for 17 hours. And people can pay to ride on this. Three to four hundred bucks a person. Not a big deal. Can it be done? Is it real? Does this thing exist? 1.2 million pounds. Oh, it also has to be able to travel at over 650 miles an hour. It's going to take almost 1,000 gallons of paint to cover it. It's going to cost $320 million to build needs to travel 9,400 miles on a single trip. And it needs to get better gas mileage than my Prius parked out front. This thing exists. This 1.2 million pound object is an Airbus A380. It's that double-decker plane. And I've been on one. I took a flight from Frankfurt to Germany. And a little bit... Frankfurt, thank you. Frankfurt to Johannesburg. <laughs> it's a little bit more exciting. Johannesburg, South Africa. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Spencer. So this plane is insane. It has double-decker gangway, so you're going in the bottom one and the top one. It's got two floors. The up, upper floor is all first class and business class, and the, the bottom floor is all coach. And like It's three seats and five seats and three seats the entire way down the bottom row. It can, it can be, it could seat 800 people if they did just coach the whole thing. It's a massive plane. And you know, we flew from Frankfurt to Johannesburg. It took about 11 hours. And... 5,500 miles, and after later I was reading about the plane going, that's just insane. If you, if you told somebody, hey, we're going to keep this object in the air for, 12, for, for 11 hours, that's 1.2 million pounds, it seems like an engineering challenge that would be impossible. It happens every day, all day. And, you know, we, we, we just walk onto planes. It's just something we do. We just get on a plane, you buy a ticket, and some of you are very nervous about air travel, and I get that. It doesn't bother me, I'm not afraid of it, I don't mind it. Um, but I was just thinking about how, how easily we just, we just have faith in that. We just hop on that plane and trust that it's going to hold us up and get us where we're going. And it's, it's still one of the safest things we do. It's way safer than climbing in your car. What else do we put our faith in without thinking about it? Cars. We trust our cars, the brakes, you know, elevators, food. There's a bunch of people who are questioning their faith in, in Chipotle right now, right? <laughs> going, I don't know if I trust that anymore. Um, we have faith in the highway overpasses. We have faith in the water company and the faucet. You turn the faucet on, you don't wonder whether water's going to come out. It just comes out. We have faith in all these things. Um, we also, often we have faith in those things because we understand they have substance. We know that that, that that highway overpass is built of concrete and steel, and we can trust in it. We've driven over it many times. We, we know it's trustworthy. We also put a lot of faith in those around us, in people, and things like governments, economies, jobs, um, spouses people we bring close to us. And sometimes those things, we have less control over them, so we're, we're, we're less willing to put faith in them. But we put faith in a lot of things in our life. And faith is something we talk about a lot here at White Flag. Sean is always telling us that if we want to grow as Christians, we need to read our Bibles and pray 25 minutes a day, memorize two verses a week, try harder, sin less, find more faith, bro, right? Right? No, Pastor Sean is always teaching us that if we want to grow... It comes down to faith and humility, just trusting in God, letting him work in our lives. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done, what he wants to do in and through us. 
And faith is a big piece of that, right? And, and Bob Hoekstra is, if, if, if you're around Sean much, he's going to get you to take the Bob Hoekstra Growing in Grace series, and it's great. It's, it's so, so good. And um, he talks a lot about these things, and he uses the phrase relational realities of faith and humility. And it's a great phrase because relational, relational reality defines kind of where it comes from. When I'm in relationship with Jesus, the reality is I'm going to have faith and humility. It's just a, it's a, it's an outcome. It's a natural byproduct. And um, it's through those, those, those realities of faith and, and humility that we gain access to his grace. And that grace not only saves us, but it transforms us and makes us more Christ-like. Um, and, and the question we're going to wrestle with today is how do we grow in faith? We're like, man, I want to have more faith. Or these heroes of the faith had all this faith. I want to be like them. And, and it's, a, it's a challenge. How do we grow in, the faith, in faith? And so today we're going to read Hebrews chapter 11. I'm trying to get through the whole chapter. It's a lot. But um, a lot of people call it the hall of faith. The famous people of, of faith that the, that the writer of Hebrews wanted to highlight and say, let me show you these guys' faith. And um, we're really going to see what we can learn from them in the, in the realm of faith. Um, and I think the main lesson that we're going to come away with is that faith is all about Jesus. You want more faith? Find more Jesus. Um, Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's where it begins and where it ends. And I hope as we work through this chapter today, you will see that the key to growth, growing in faith is growing in knowing Jesus, his word, his promises, and having an eternal perspective. So let's pray and we'll dig into Hebrews chapter 11. Father, we thank you for your word and just the way you um, want to show us so many things through it, Lord. You want to show your love and your faithfulness and your plan for our lives, Lord. And we just pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to show us, Lord, that you speak through me. And um, we pray for Pastor Sean as he's teaching up in Aurora, that you would bless him and encourage him and speak through him. We also pray for our junior hires as they're coming home from camp today, Lord, that you would uh, have an incredible impact on their hearts through this time, Lord, that they would just have have seen you and met with you and, and, and really grown in their faith this weekend. And we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. So Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, this sermon is going to be a lot of read a couple verses, comment, read about a lot of verses, comment, so it's going to be real back and forth. So verses 1 and 2, 1, 2, and 3 say, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Such a great phrase. I love the author's phrasing. Um, he words, uses the word substance. Um, we're still willing to have faith in things that, that have substance. Like I said, that, that overpass, that's concrete and steel, we can trust it. Tangible physical things, people, money, um, this floor, we all have faith in this floor. We're not worried that we're going to fall through this floor. I'll, even now that I mentioned it, some of you are thinking about it. But it's, we have faith in tangible things and things with substance. Um, we have faith in those close to us because we know them. We have experienced them. We, we, we walk through life with them. And so we learn to trust them and have faith in their character. We have faith in our own efforts, right? We believe in what we can do. We know what we're capable of. We trust in those things. And I wonder if our struggle with faith in God is not that we don't have enough faith, not that we have to go find more faith, it's that we need to redirect our faith. We have a lot of faith. We just put it in the wrong things. We put it on things we can, we can control, we can understand. And I think our faith needs to be in Jesus and his faithfulness, Jesus and his promises, Jesus and his victory, Jesus and his grace. Um, every time I'm sick, I'm reminded of this because you think you got life under control. You're like, I got this. I know I, I got my money in order and I got my job in order. I got my family in order. I'm just, I got life, man. I got it covered. And then you get sick. You can't even get out of bed. Like you're incapable of making yourself get out of bed. Or, you know, it's just it's this humbling experience because you realize you have so little control over, over your very own body. And I think it's a powerful thing because I think that's where a lot of this comes down to our struggle with faith. We want control. We want to be in charge of things. And, um, and that doesn't work because we're not in control of things. We think we are, but we're not. Jesus is the who of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We have never seen Jesus, but we trust in him. And our lives and the fruit in them is the evidence of him, even though he's not seen. A couple of the commentaries I read liken faith to eyesight. Eyesight is what gives us evidence of the material world. I can see Spencer there, so we know he's there. It's the same thing spiritually. 
I know that, that God is real and that he loves me. And faith is what gives him substance through his word. Faith is the, eyes, is the eyesight that gives us the evidence of these things. Faith is also the evidence of things hoped for as we trust in his promises. God has given us all these promises and some of those promises will be fulfilled in our lifetimes and some of them will be fulfilled in the next. But faith is how we take hold of those promises and allow them to impact our lives. The author goes on to say that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed or made by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made out of things which were, are visible. And there's two things that stick out with me. One is is that everything we think, we see, and we understand, and we, we, we know, it's, it's not always what it, sees, it, it seems. It disappears or it fades away. We don't, you know, money, possessions, health, loved ones, these things we think are so concrete, they go away, they change over time, people die, things happen. Even this world, it's going to go away someday. And, and these things, we think they have substance, but they're, not, they're made of what's not seen. God gave them substance, and someday that will end. And I think it also gives, it, gives a really important connection to creation. And creation is something we, we, we're, we're very big on here because it's really important. And I think a lot of people are like, why does it matter if we came from monkeys or if God created us? That's not a big deal. But it does matter. And it, it really matters when we're talking about our faith. If God didn't create the world, where did it come from? It appeared by random chance. What takes more faith? Believing in an all-powerful creator or believing in the impossible odds against creation, evolution? I don't want to get nerdy on you here. So um, the biggest names in evolution are now starting to say honestly, that they don't believe in evolution because it's impossible. The math doesn't work. Richard Dawkins and many other have admitted that we can't go from a pool of goo, goo to a life form. You can't get that from that pool of primordial goo, goo to even an amino acid. They've tried. They've tried in laboratories to set up that, that environment and use electricity and, and, and they've gotten amino acids to form. They've gotten one, but the problem is you need 50 for the simplest protein. And you need 2 to 4 million proteins for the simplest cell. And then once you have a cell, what do you have from there? There's, there's, there's so many steps to get to life that even the evolutionists go, you know what, you're right. The math doesn't work. It's impossible. So we believe that aliens brought life to Earth, that aliens brought the first life, right? Is, is that, and, 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 it, and they keep coming up with, with ways that they dodge the question. And they look at us and they say, you're ignorant because you believe in a creator. But those same scientists don't know where 96% of the mass in the universe is. They can see it there. They can see the evidence of it because gravity has its effect and they go, based on the gravity we see, there's all this mass in the universe. But what we can see in the stars and the galaxies is only 4% of the mass that should be there. They've, they're missing 96% of the mass, but they've got it figured out. They know where we came from. They have all the answers. And I think it's amazing because even that idea of dark matter, they see the evidence of things hoped for. They can detect the substance of things not seen. You know, it's like you could use this verse here in Hebrews to talk about dark matter and their faith in it. You know, it's, it's amazing. Um, even Stephen Hawking's recent book talked about they can't, they can't make the math work. So he's posited that there's an infinite number of parallel universes. So the math doesn't work, but if we create enough parallel universes, we happen to be in the one where the math does work because infinitely bad odds divided by infinity means there's a possibility. And it's just... It's just amazing to me because they're working so hard to disprove the evidence of God, but in the process they're building a belief system that very much looks like religion and faith to me. You know, the, they're, they're asking you to believe in something, but scoffing at us because we believe. And why does it matter? Who cares if God created the universe or not? But I think when it comes to the subject of faith, it does matter. Because if God created everything, then I can put my faith in him. Because everything that is, he's in control of. He made it. He can create it. He can take it away. It's all within his power. Miracles? He created everything. What, what do you mean miracles? Those are simple for him. And, and if you believe you came from a monkey, then it's, I don't necessarily need God. I'm a self-made man, or at least I'm an earth-made man. I, I just happened. And I think it's a big issue, and it's important, and that's why the author brought it there, that God created the earth with his voice and then with his words. And I think it's so important that we, that we don't give up on that because it, it's the cornerstone of our faith. Let's read on. Verses 4 through 7 of chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and, though, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Abel is our first example in the hall of faith. And what's interesting about this story in Genesis is that there's no backstory. We don't hear that God asked for an animal sacrifice or laid out the rules for a sacrifice at this point. That happens much later. The only thing we're told is that Abel was a shepherd and he brought a lamb as a sacrifice and Cain was a gardener and he brought fruits and vegetables as an offering and God rejected Cain's offering but accepted Abel's. And what was the difference? John Calvin says, Abel's sacrifice was preferred to his brothers for no other reason than it was sanctified by faith. For surely the fat of animals did not smell so, we- so sweetly that it could by its odor pacify God. And I, I think it's powerful because... Um, the only difference between the two is, is, is Abel had faith and Cain did not. And his humble faith was the difference. And you can contrast that with Cain because what happened when God rejected Cain's offering? He had this pride and this anger and he went and he killed his brother over it. And, it. and it's an example of that humility and faith being lived out in Abel's life. And I think it's, it's really cool that it starts with this story because I see some parallels with us and where we start in faith. Our faith starts with trusting in, in the blood of a lamb. And, and it's real simple. It's a humble faith. It's, it's a simple faith. And it's about the condition of our hearts. And it's hard for us because we'd rather have a list of things to do, ten, 10 righteous acts to do, or four rules to follow to prove that we're just before God. But God says, no, I'm not going to let you feed your flesh and say these are the things I did to qualify for faith, for, for salvation. We don't get to bring anything to the table. We come in humility. We come in faith. We have to trust in the blood of a lamb. And uh, it's powerful. Um, Enoch is the second story he mentions. And Enoch's another really encouraging story because Enoch's story is one of relationship. This brings us back to the who of faith, to Jesus, that faith comes through Jesus. Abel shows us where faith started. Enoch shows us how it grows. Enoch walked with God and they became so close that God took him away. He was no more. Faith is a response to who God is and it grows as we learn who God is through a relationship with him, his word, and prayer. Time with him is the key. As Hoekstra says, as I mentioned earlier, faith is a relational reality. Faith becomes a reality in our lives when we grow in our relationship with him. This point is reiterated in verse 6, where it talks about, um, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch diligently sought God and found him. When we find Jesus, faith is the result. Faith is an amazing thing because it, as we walk in faith and we trust God with areas of our life, he shows himself faithful. So we trust him more and he shows himself more faithful. And that's where our faith grows. As we get to know him, as we trust him with bigger and bigger things, we start to trust him with our money, with our life decisions. And that leads us to the story of Noah. Noah is this incredible example of trusting God with something ludicrous. God came to him and said, I'm done. I can't, I, the world needs to be dealt with. I can't deal with this injustice anymore. It is time. But I know you love me and I want to rescue you. So I need you to build a boat, a really big boat. And uh, you're going to have to trust me on this one. It's going to rain a lot. Um, I know it's never rained before. I know the nearest lake is many miles away, but I need you to build a massive boat. Do you know what took Moses, I mean Moses, Noah, 80 to 100 years to build that boat? That's a long time to be walking in faith. Building a boat, trusting the Lord that he was going to do something. You know, and, and I think it's encouraging to us because as we grow in our faith, we trust God. He, he sometimes draws us to make ludicrous decisions like that, but he always shows himself faithful when we trust him. And I, I think that's what's, what's so powerful about, about faith is, it, is, it, is it, it reinforces itself. Let's read on. Um, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The question I have next is, who do, what do we have faith in? We know the who is Jesus, but the what is next. And I think the what is his character, 
and his promises. And I, I look at Abraham, and God told Abraham to go to the land of Canaan. He said, I'm going to give you this land. Go. You must go. And Abraham trusted and went. He had some little you know, moments of hesitation in there where he took a 20-year break, but he trusted God. And it's an amazing example because God promised Abraham this promised land, and Abraham never truly possessed it. He went there. He lived in the land. He got to kind of experience it, but he wouldn't be possessed for four or 500 years later till his great-great-great-great-grandchildren came under Joshua and conquered the land. And yet he trusted God with that promise. And um, I think one of the things that really struck me is, is often faith involves steps of faith into the unknown. One step after another, trusting God into the unknown. Things we don't know. Things we can't control. And Abraham's such a beautiful picture of that. Um, he trusted God, and his faith got passed down to future generations because he said, God's going to give us this land. And that belief was strong through his people for many years until 400 years later they took possession of the land. So it's a powerful story. Um, and as I was thinking about this, you know, they call Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith, right? And, and it's kind of a play on words, right? Because we have hall of fames. We have, we have hall of fames for all the sports and even for music, right? So people like Michael Jordan, John Elway, Wayne Gretzky, Babe Ruth, Jimi Hendrix, these guys are like the best of the best. So they get into the hall of fame. They're kind of honored for their, their skill and their excellence. Um, and as we're reading through this hall of faith, I think at some point I often got to the point where I was like, man, these guys are pretty cool, but that's not me. You know, if these guys are, are in the hall of faith, I'm not sure I'd qualify for the faith hall of shame. You know, I just, I don't know that I have this in me. I don't see this in me. I'm not Abraham. I'm not Enoch. I'm not Noah. And I think we're going to see this a couple times, but God really wants to, to talk to us about that because this next story is an incredible person that if I was writing the Hall of Faith, I would never put her in this story. But in verse 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand by the seashore. So Sarah, how did Sarah make it into the Hall of Faith? The, all the stories I can think of about Sarah... She laughed at God and his, his promises. She scoffed. And then when the angel challenged her and said, you laughed at my promise. She goes, oh, no, I didn't. She lied to an angel. She, she's, she's the one who thought, hey, Abraham, I got a great idea. Why don't you sleep with my handmaiden? We'll accomplish God's will through this. This was her idea. And yet God puts her in the hall of fame, the hall of faith. And I think it's really important. And I think it's, it's, it's not insignificant. Um, and, and the verse that really sticks out to me in this section is um, halfway through verse 7, it says, towards the end, it says, she judged him faithful who had promised. And despite her doubts, and despite her laughing and, and trying to manipulate her scriptures, the Bible said she had faith. She trusted in the character of him who promised. And, and it, it makes me think of, of um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 and 20. And, and it's when the disciples come to him and they said to Jesus privately, why could we not cast it out, referring to a demon? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And I used to hear that verse about the mustard seed and go, well, if, if a mustard seed of faith could move a mountain, it's this tiny thing, then I must have like an atom of faith. But I think I was listening to that verse wrong, because I think God was saying, I just need a little bit. I just need you to trust me a little bit, like Sarah. Sarah trusted God just a little bit. And look how God used her. We're all here because of her. It's her family. It was from her that Isaac was born. And then Jacob. And then the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus. Like She has this incredible testimony. And those innumerable descendants were, were counted among. Because of her little bit of faith. And she trusted in God's promises and his character. And she received a, a miracle. And I think it's just a powerful reminder that we often think of, like, I don't have anything. But what we have is what we bring to God. And that's what he's looking for. And, and, and so I just find her story so encouraging. And I think um, it brings together another subject that's tied so closely here. And that is hope. Hope and faith are so closely tied together. Um, even as verse 1 said, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is a key. And faith is often experienced as hope. I think you look at Sarah... Maybe she wasn't like, this is going to happen, but she had hope. She was like, Lord, 
I'm going to open a little door in my heart that might mean I get my heart broken, but I'm going to trust you and hope just a little bit that maybe this can happen to us. And she trusted. BK sent me a quote this week, and it says, um, it's a Charles Spurgeon hope, and it said, do not look to your hope, but to Christ, the source of your hope. It's such a good, good quote, and it illustrates the title of our message, the point of our message, which is that faith, it's all about Jesus. A little bit of hope in Jesus is all it takes. A little bit of faith. He'll take whatever we'll give him, and it's enough. And he can build with it. All right, let's read on. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I think this is another key to faith, and that is to have an eternal perspective. I think we, we, look, on, we look at our life and worry about today and tomorrow and next week, and maybe, maybe how am I going to retire in 20 years, whatever. We're very, the challenge is in front of me. How do I make it through work today? How do I, how do I have enough money to pay that bill tomorrow? And, and it's very real and very tangible, but I think we miss out on so much of what God wants to do in our lives when we allow ourselves to get stuck in the here and now in this earth. Because as we, as we have that eternal perspective, like we're going to see there's a testimony of this people. Abraham, he had an eternal perspective. God promised him something and he, he never received it in his life. But he had an eternal perspective on it. He said, God, this is a long-term thing you're doing and I'm going to trust in it. And I think as we have that, it changes the struggles we have. Um, it provides perspective on our choices. It provides perspective on our circumstances and our troubles. Life is so short. Eternity is so long. The things we feel are so important today, we often won't even think about next week, let alone next year. Do you remember what you were stressed out about last year in the week of February 28th? Like, does it matter now? No, but, but we're, it's so heavy on our hearts, and I think we're supposed to have this mindset that it's about eternity. What are, what are we here for? We're here for where we're going. We have a homeland. I love that phrase, uh, um, Oh, where is it? 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. That mindset that we're seeking after a homeland is so important. It gives us perspective on our trials. Um, you know, as trials go on, sometimes we feel like they'll never end. But when we have an eternal perspective, we realize that life is short. So those trials can only be short. And, and, and they seem long, but as, as we look eternally, it gives us perspective. And it also gives us perspective on where we're putting our time and our energy. Are we, are we producing eternal fruit? Are we doing things that matter? We're doing things that are going to last. And I think, it's, I think it's a key, and I think we're going to see that through these next couple of stories here as we pick up in verse 17. And we're going to go back to the story of Abraham again here. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. We already mentioned Abraham earlier in this chapter, but we get to hear this story. And as I've thought about it, it may be one of the greatest acts of faith in the Bible. I mean, you know, we just talked about Abraham and Sarah. They're, they're in their 90s and, and God says, I'm going to give you a son. So they get this son, this child of promise, Isaac, and they love him and they care so much for him. And then God says, Abraham? Go sacrifice your son on that mountain. And Abraham says, okay. And he goes and he does it. And he obeys. There's just a, his faith leads to obedience. Even though it's so contradictory because God said, I'm going to make this great nation out of this, ch this child. Abraham said, I'm going to trust you. And, and, and this verse says that he did it because he believed that even if he did sacrifice that child, God could bring him back to life. And that's a, it's a powerful picture. Um, but I think, I think it really shows that Abraham believed so much in God's character that he was willing to obey even something that didn't make sense. He said, Lord, I trust your character. You've made this promise. You will fulfill it. So I'll obey this request because I, I, the two will work themselves out. And of course, we all know the story that God stopped him right as he was about to kill him and he provided a ram and, and there's all the imagery with Christ being our, our you know, substitute sacrifice. But it's such an amazing picture that, that Abraham was willing to 
trust in God's uh, faithfulness. Let's read on. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. I'm going to stop real quick on that one because David Guzik in his commentary pointed out the irony in this one. Because when, a, when, Isaac, when Jacob and Esau were born, God said, Jacob I love and Esau I have hated and I'm going to bless Jacob. But Isaac's favorite son was Esau. He was a manly man. He was a hunter. We, we talked about this in, in um, Genesis a couple weeks ago. But so when he went to, when, when Isaac said, hey Esau, go, go make me a nice meal. I'm going to bless you. He was going against what God said he would do. God said, I'm going to bless Jacob. But Isaac was like, I'm going to bless Esau because he's my favorite. And remember what happens? Isaac and his mom connive and figure out a way for, for um, Jacob to go in there with lamb skin on his arm so he feels hairy and, and he pretends to be his brother and he gets the blessing. And when that's exposed to Isaac, when Isaac realizes what happened and he realized that he blessed the son he didn't intend to bless, he kind of has this moment where he goes, well, that was God's plan all along and he trusts in God's faithfulness. He's like, wow, I tried to outmaneuver God, but God's so faithful and I thought it was just kind of a fun little story there that, that even when we try to outmaneuver God, he's in control. And, and it's, it's a fun story. Verse 21. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped them, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Both of these, men's, both of these men had eternal perspective, looking to the future completion of God's promises. God blessed each of his 12 sons and the two half-tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. And those blessings, if you read them, are very much focused on the future, on, on those tribes and on what they're going to be in the future. And Joseph refused to be buried in Egypt. 400 years later, when they leave, they bring his bones with him because he said, you will not bury me in this land because we are going to possess the land of Canaan. He believed that promise that his great-grandpa Abraham believed and he trusted it for himself and he made sure that those who followed him followed that and believed that, that promise as well. And I think that's the real key, God's promises. We have to find them and hold on to them and trust them. Verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Moses, his life is marked by faith. His parents trusted that God had a plan for this baby they had. And, and so they, they acted on that faith. When he became old enough, he rejected Egypt. There's a lot of people who believe that he would have become Pharaoh if he had stayed, if he had not left. But he rejected Egypt and was willing to suffer for it. And, and we'll get to this later, but faith is often tied with suffering. You know, as we trust in the Lord, we go through trials, we go through suffering. They're often very much connected. Um, but... Suffering is often faith's fast companion. And Moses, another encouraging example, also of someone who does not, did not always have faith. He's at the burning bush and God's like, hey, I'm going to use you to take these people out. He's like, I don't speak very good, God. I stutter. And he argued with God. And God was like, no, I'm going to use you. He's like, no, I don't know about that, God. And, but he trusted. And, and that's encouraging to me because he had enough faith then to lead those people out of Egypt. And, and I, I can, can you just imagine taking two to four million people and going, hey, follow me. We're going to go into that desert. Like, like, where are you going to get food? Where are you going to get water? There's all these reasons why he, he shouldn't have done that. But he trusted the Lord. He trusted that God would be faithful. And, and we, we all know how that turned out. It also mentions that they kept the, fast, the Passover by faith. And, and it's interesting because why would you trust in the blood of a lamb on your doorpost to keep you safe from death? It just it doesn't make any sense. But they trusted because they trusted in the one who made that promise. And, and it's so similar for us. We trust in the blood of a lamb for our forgiveness of sin. This is simple, simple things tied to the character and trusting in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I trust God, so I'm going to act. I trust God. He said, do this, so I'm going to do it. By faith, they crossed the sea on dry land. The Egyptians tried to do the same thing, and they drowned. Faith us allows us to 
um, go through trials where others won't su- survive those trials. Because God's like, I'm going to take you through it. Doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to do it. And when we get through it, we're like, wow, God did it. It's amazing. Nobody gets any, nobody else gets any credit for that. They didn't part the Red Seas. God did it. You know, it's, it, all the glory goes to, da- to God in those, those cases. All right, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. We talked about Jericho last time I taught a couple months ago. Um, but walking around a city 13 times in seven days is very illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you do that? And you, you are in these walls. They have so much substance. They're rock and stone. And what, we're going to walk in circles for 13 days. And faith will cause us to do ludicrous things. But when we do them, when we trust in God, we get amazing miracles. You know, it's, it's amazing how God is so faithful. Rahab is also an amazing story. She, here's this harlot, but she believed in the stories about God. She heard how he had brought the people out of Egypt. She heard how, how they'd conquered these nations, and she knew that God was with them. And she said, you guys are coming for us, and you're going to win. I believe in your God, and I want to be part of what you have going on there. And her faith protected her from coming destruction, and because of her faith, she's a part of the line of Jesus. She's his great, 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 great grandma. You know, and we know, I don't think we're going to go into heaven and go, you're Rahab the harlot. I think we're going to go, you're, you're the famous Rahab. You know, it's like, it's amazing. Her faith saved her from that destruction and made her part of God's bigger plan, part of God's eternal fruit. It's, it's incredible. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. This section is another encouraging spot for those of us who don't feel like spiritual giants. As I was preparing to teach this, this chapter, I thought about who I would have put in the spiritual hall of faith. And I would have put like Daniel in the hall of faith, right? Daniel is this guy, we don't see him make a mistake. He's just got this sterling record for years. I mean, empires are falling around him and he's still just this rock-solid man of God. I would have put maybe Elijah and Elisha or maybe Jeremiah, these guys who just did these amazing things for God. Um, the, the amazing people. But they're not in here. They're, they're referenced in, in the next section, but they're not directly in here. And I think God did that on purpose. I think he wants to communicate something. This isn't about the people. This is about the God that they trusted in and his faithfulness in their life. And that's where faith comes from, is our eyes are on Jesus. These next four guys, we're going to go through their stories, and they're just not amazing stories of guys doing amazing things for God in some ways. There's some real flaws in these stories, but it's about God, and I think that's what God wants to communicate. It's about him, his faithfulness, his promises, and using broken people to accomplish his work. Gideon. Gideon is this amazing story of this guy who's like the biggest nobody in Israel, and God comes to him and says, I'm going to use you to conquer the Midianites who are, who are, uh, who are, are keeping you guys down. And he goes, no, you get the wrong guy. I was like, no, it's you. He says, okay, if it's really you, then I'm going to put out a fleece on a rock and, and the fleece is going to stay dry and the, the, the plants are all going to be wet with dew the next morning. Wakes up, the fleece is dry, the plants are all wet. He says, okay, one more time. And he switches it. He wants it to be the other way. And he tests God repeatedly and says, Lord, convince me that I should trust you. And God very uniquely in my mind, because it feels like oftentimes when people test God and say, I don't trust you yet. He goes, you should trust me. You have, you, you already know. And he's, he's mad at them. It seems like when they don't trust him. But in this case, he's very patient with Gideon. He goes, I know your faith needs to grow. So I'm going to, I'm going to be patient with you and I'm going to show you that you should trust in me. And it's powerful because Gideon then goes on to be just rock solid in his faith because he goes to conquer, to kick out the Midianites and he goes with 33,000 men. And God says, no, there's too many men. And he takes them in a couple different ways. He starts thinning the crowd. And he thins them down to 300 guys. From 33,000 to 300 guys. And that's the point at which most of us would run screaming. But Gideon's like, nope, God's going to do this. I trust him. I believe his promises. I believe his character. And those 300 men defeated the Midianites. It's a great story. Um, I remember listening to it on a little cassette tape as a kid. You can still hear the music. It's a good story. Barak. Barak was used to, by God to defeat the Canaanites. The Canaanites were, were holding down the Jews again in, in Judges. They have the season where they would rebel against God and God would allow somebody to conquer them and, and hold them down. And he also struggled to cost, trust God. When Deborah the prophetess told him 
that God wanted to use him to, to beat the Canaanites, he's like, okay, all right, I'm okay with that, but I'm only going to do it if you go with me. I need you to hold my hand. She's like, okay, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get the glory for this victory. And so she went with him and held his hand, and he had this great victory. Um, but the glory went to Jael, some, a, a lady who was in a tent. The king of the Canaanites went running from the battle, and he was tired and scared, and so he ducked into this tent, and this lady was like, I'll take care of you. And she gave him some uh, warm milk, and he fell asleep, and she drove a stake through his head. And so this, this famous Barak didn't get to be the one who had that victory. It was, it was just some, some lady, Jael. And it's just kind of a funny story that, that he had these doubts, but God still used him to do a powerful thing. And the story is amazing because the Jews had bronze weapons, but the Canaanites had steel weapons. They had steel chariots. They had hundreds of steel chariots. It should have been a slaughter for the Canaanites. But in the middle of the dry season, when they went for this battle, it rained. And those steel chariots got stuck in the mud. And the Canaanites knew they were screwed because they worshipped the fertility god who was in charge of the rain. And the rain fell at the worst possible time for them, and it was a moral defeat and a logical defeat, and they were just wiped out. It was a, it was a powerful victory in that, in that time. Samson, I really can't believe Samson's in here. You know, Samson's like this anti-hero of the Bible, right? The guy does these amazing things, but then he's always kind of compromising and dabbling in sin and making these decisions his life kind of ends kind of woman kind of he just slowly finally lets out the secret and you know he, he his life ends with this powerful moment when he kills hundreds of philistines as they're celebrating his capture and he knocks over the walls in the temple they're worshiping in or, or they're celebrating in but i wouldn't have put i wouldn't have put samson in the hall of faith he, it's the last guy i'd put in there um jephthah um, he's an interesting story. He, he re- helped defeat the Ammonites, but he also made a really foolish decision. And it's, I, don't really, I don't like reading that story in, the, in Judges. It's, it's just a painful story. Um, David and Samuel, both great men of God. We know all the great things they did and, and their faith, but they also had their flaws. Both men were pretty bad dads. Their kids didn't turn out great. Um, we all know what happened with Bathsheba and Uriah, but God used them mightily. And Jesus is in the line of who? of David, a man after God's own heart. And the point of this is not, I don't want to tear these guys down. I've never done any of these things. They're, you know, they're amazing things they did. But to point out, the focus of this chapter is not us. It's not our shortcomings. It's not our failures. It's Jesus. Jesus will use us if we have faith. And despite our mistakes, despite our shortcomings, um, when we keep our eyes on, his, on Jesus, his character, his word, his promises, and eternity, that's when we have access to the power of faith. Verse 33 who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violences of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Faith is powerful. God wants to move in our lives. He wants to do amazing, miraculous things. But he's waiting for us to trust in him. That's all we bring to the table. For us to believe in his word and to trust in his promises, to pray big prayers and ask for big things, to see him do a work in our lives, to take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, to see him change lives and change people, to reach our children and our co-workers, and to free us from addiction. Jesus is waiting to work in our lives. We just need to give him a little bit of faith. Just open a little door and allow him to work in our lives. Verse 35, the second half of it. And it says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might, I, might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chain, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Sufferings, persecutions, difficulties, death, these are also the results of faith. If someone told you that being a believer would be, is, would be easy, we need to apologize for that because that's not sold anywhere in the Bible. It's, it's the best decision you could make. It's full of joy and hope and peace. And it's better than the alternative, but it's not easy. It's not simple. It's painful. It's difficult. God wants to work in our lives, and often he has to do that through trials and suffering. Let's turn a couple pages to your right to 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." First Peter reiterates much of what we've been talking about so far. Jesus is the focus of our faith. Hope, eternal perspective. All those things are reiterated there. He also says in verse 6 and 7 that trials are there to test our faith to show that it's much more precious than gold that perishes. Trials test and strengthen our faith like the tempering of steel. Trials are part of what eternal fruit I talked about earlier. Not only, does, not only is it fruit to our account, but it glorifies God when we come through our trials. And those trials are used by God to test our faith and to strengthen our faith and to show us our, that our faith is, is firmly grounded. When God brings us through those trials, we, we realize how faithful God is and it helps us to have more faith and to continue to trust him. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33, um, one of the commentaries I read, John Corson says in his commentary, that in verses 33 through 40, 35, faith gave people victory over their circumstances. But in verses 35 through 38, faith gave those others victory in their circumstances. The latter were those who, because they saw the big picture of eternity, left a lasting impression on the world. And I thought that was such a powerful little comment on that section. This section with all these um, trials and difficulties is also a stern warning against the, the prosperity gospel. There's a lot of people who will tell you that if you just had enough faith, God will bless you and give you the money and that you need and will heal you and take care of all your needs. Whatever you need, the only reason you don't have it is you don't have enough faith. Pray with more faith. Pray really believing that God's going to bless you and take care of you. And, and I think it's, it, sells, it sells it short. God is not a, a vending machine. God, yeah, he wants to bless us and he's going to pour blessings on our lives that we can't, we can't imagine. But they're not always what we think they're going to be. And the money we're asking for may not be a blessing. And, and these trials may be the biggest blessing because he's building something that lasts. Yeah, he could give me a new car, but I can't take that to eternity. But he could take me through a trial and build some character that I can, I can enjoy for eternity. And these, these trials are a big part of the blessing God wants to pour out on our hearts. And we have to be careful when we hear people who tell us that those things and, and try to corrupt the gospel and to be in some way to get stuff from God. You know, faith is all about Jesus, his promises, his plan, his work in your life. We're not, we're not saying, Lord, I need this. We're saying, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? And, it, and it's a heart change. It's a, there's a humility involved. And I think that prosperity gospel is missing that humility because we think we know what we need to get from God. And our prayers and our faith is not to grow, to get God to do what we want. It's for our hearts to be aligned with his so that our prayers are, are praying for what God wants to do in our lives anyways. Verse 39. We're almost there. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. This is a really cool verse because all these people listed were looking forward to something. They were looking forward to the Messiah. And, and we have this incredible privilege of knowing the completed work. We know the Messiah. He's done his work in our hearts. We've, we've accepted, accepted him. He's forgiven us our, our, our sins. And we have this incredible privilege. These all had this amazing faith and they didn't have the the complete picture of what was going to happen. And we have the privilege not only of having that complete picture, but we have these amazing Bibles. You know, you think about all these people in the Bible. They didn't have this book with, you know, all these stories of, of men of faith and, and God's promises and God's faithfulness. And we were so blessed to have this, to remind us of all these things. They didn't have the Holy Spirit upon them like we do, who is building faith and character into us and helping grow our faith. And it's just amazing how blessed we are 
Um, and, and God you know, wanted to include us in that. And I, I can't finish there, though. I have to go on. I, the beginning of chapter 12 is too good to not dig into here. So let's read the first, uh, first two verses of chapter 12, because I think it sums up everything we've been studying well, and it's such a great section. Verse, uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm not sure I could sum up chapter 11 any better than that. Um, it's, it's such an amazing way to just talk about how we have all these people we can look back at and how they walked in faith. Some of them were full of faith and did massive things. Some of them doubted a bunch, but still trusted God and God worked through their lives. And, and we can be encouraged by, the, by God's faithfulness through all those stories because that's the theme. It's about Jesus. Um, we must lay aside those things that ensnare us and slow us down and cause us to doubt. And we need to run this race with endurance, with that eternal perspective. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, who started our faith, he pursued us. He's the one who started the faith in our life and he's going to complete, complete it. He's going to finish it. And in fact, I love the last part of that verse where it talks about, you know, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I picture Jesus sitting there going, I'm done. I've completed this work. When he died on the cross, he said it is finished. And I think that's referring to our lives. He's already completed the work in our lives. He just wants to bring us through it. There's not something he still has to do. We just have to trust him to, to, to play it out in our lives because it's already completed. It's already accomplished. And so it's just such an encouraging section to just trust in God in all things. So with that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these sections that um, just encourage us to trust in you and your faithfulness, Lord. Um, I pray that our hearts are just emboldened to um, keep our eyes on you, Lord that you're the source of faith, you're the reason of our faith, um, your promises, your character, and that we would have that eternal perspective to just make every decision in light of, of your faithfulness, God, Lord. And I just pray you would speak, just bless our hearts this day, Lord. We, we thank you for meeting us here. We love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.